Welcome back to another episode of the Cyclist Magazine podcast. Will, how's it going with you? Are you enjoying the rain? Hello, yes. I'm enjoying our fabulous English summer. It's really good and I'm not bored of it at all. But you probably must be way more bored than me considering you've spent the last few months in 40 degree sunshine. Yeah, I mean, I can't say I'm too impressed, to be honest, coming back from my big trip and honestly, I haven't even seen the sun since, so pretty depressing. No, say goodbye. That was it. You actually, that's all that you're getting for 2023. <laughs> Why? Um, but yeah, pretty mad, actually. Just got back from my trip to Tunisia. It took me 18 days in the end to cycle there, which was pretty epic. Well, you, cy- you cycled to Italy and got a boat. Yeah, I was just about to finish that, thank you, to cycle yeah. to Civitavecchia, where I got the ferry, and then I went 18-hour ferry from Civitavecchia to Tunis. Next time you need to get a peddler. I mean, that would have been probably more fun, to be honest, than sleeping on the floor. And I was so tired and so sweaty. I didn't bring any water, didn't bring any food. I basically had to race for the ferry on my last day, because um, there were no other ferries for two weeks in sort of a 200-kilometer radius. Well, maybe way more, actually. But yeah, so that was pretty mad. Um but it was great. It was incredible. <laughs> it was the most best thing I've ever done. And uh, now I'm just watching the rain pour out the sky. From sunny England. <laughs> but yeah, honestly, now I'm just, I've got another idea for another trip I think I want to do. But this time I want to combine running and cycling. And I want to basically cycle a bit and then strap the bike to my back and then run up a mountain. What are you going to ride on? A Brompton? No, a gravel bike. And then strap it to my back and then run up a mountain. Why would you not cycle up the mountain? Because I want to do it. You know, it's like you can't cycle up a mountain. You know, like Snowden, you can't cycle up there. I was in one of the ones where, okay, I get what you mean now. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so then do that and then cycle back down. What do you like, basically, like three peaks right in between kind of vibe? Yeah, but take the bike up with you. You're going to have to find a really lightweight bike. <laughs> Just thinking the ribble I've got now without my bags on is so light. <laughs> But you're how heavy is it? It's still not a light bike. Oh, yeah, no, it's not light, but it'll be fine. You're adding, what, 10 kilograms to your body weight to run up a mountain, not even just to ride it, you have to run up a mountain. Yeah, and you're not going to be able to move my arms that much because it, um, of the bike being strapped to my back. Yeah, I've been going through this at the moment, actually. So I've just started training. For, I'm doing a sprint triathlon in September with my brother, and I'm panic training because I didn't train. So I've been going for a swim and then running after, straight afterwards to sort of practice running tired. But because I've just been for a swim, I'm running with my bag with all my swimming stuff on it. So I'm having to hold my bag with one hand and only use one my left arm to run. Oh my gosh, that's so annoying. Why don't you get a proper backpack and just strap it to yourself? Well, I've got a proper backpack, but I, my things aren't tight enough and I just haven't got around to tightening them properly oh my days (laughs) and I'm not using like a running bag because I've got to have my towel and stuff in there yeah but you could you know like my backpack I used to run to work in it and just strap it all to you get a waist and a chest strap it's It's only 5k though I don't think it's deep enough to oh fair to go through that effort and I've been running faster than I've been running for quite a long time actually it's (laughs) not fast lucky (laughs) it's not fast but so how big is a sprint triathlon so it's I think it's like half the distance of a normal one. So it's it's 750 meter swim, 20k bike, and then a 5k run. Oh, so still like decent. That'd be amazing. Where are you doing it? Uh, in Beaver in Leicestershire. Lovely. Yes, it should be really fun. Bit hilly, but I'm so I'm doing it with my brother. I don't care about how fast I do it as long as I beat him. Obviously. So 
my dad's test ridden the course, even though he's not doing it. He wanted to do the recce. Um, and he said it's really hilly, which works in my favour because he, my brother doesn't cycle that much. So, Who's the better runner? Me. Okay, so, I mean, we should, we look forward to hearing how you get on, to be honest. Yeah, so when he beats me by 20 minutes in the swim, <laughs> I'll really be sorry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 20 minutes to 750 metres? Don't know. Yeah, so I've done four swims so far and I'm on 26 minutes, but he's doing 19. Oh, he is speedy. Uh, is that in a pool or is it open water? Training in a pool, but the actual thing's open water, so it's a bit different. I'm hoping that works to my to, to my best. Are you going to practice in a bit of open water beforehand? Um, might go and see see how that see how that works. I'm just thinking, yeah, you know, because you're pushing off in the pool. Yeah, but I'm I'm not pushing. I literally got cramp in the pool on Monday from pushing off. <laughs> I, I cycled to him from work, walked the dog, and then went straight into the swim. And on length 28 of 30, I pushed off and my leg cramped up. Oof. So it's definitely not helping me out right now. <laughs> cramp in the pool is not the one. It's the best place to cramp, actually. <laughs> if you're going to cramp anywhere, do it in a swimming pool. No it's the way. second. It, no, it's the second time it's happened to me. You don't want it to happen on dry land, because what if you're standing up? Oh, no, the worst is when you cramp in a swimming pool and you've like, I always get at my toes and my toes do this weird thing where they like split or something. Basically, it all goes so weird. And I'm there like holding my toe in the middle of the swimming pool, half drowning because I've, I've got it like halfway through okay, a leg. Okay, yeah, no, fair <laughs> enough. That's not great. But if it's just more of your bigger leg muscles, just stretch out your leg without looking like a complete buffoon because you're floating <laughs> and you already look pretty silly. <laughs> Oh, so much to look forward to. Right, should we get on to our guest? Yes, let's get on to our guest. Please welcome Liam Yates. Hi, Liam. Thank you so much for coming on the Cyclist Magazine podcast. It's great to have you on. Thank you for having me. Good morning, guys. So, Liam, how did you get into cycling? I got into cycling... um, I left school, basically. I, I I always used to be into BMXing when I was at school. And then, yeah, once I finished my GCSEs and that, I thought, okay, I've got to get a proper job now, I guess. So I basically started an apprenticeship at a local bike shop, which was a friend of my dad's, doing bike mechanics in a bike shop, you know, seven days a week, five days a week, sorry. I wasn't working quite that hard. (laughs) Um, Yeah, basically just became accustomed to being, yeah, working on bikes, dealing with cyclists, and eventually led to getting a road bike of my own. And obviously your dad's Sean Yates, famous cyclist. Was it obligatory to cycle as a kid? Not really. That's why I think I started quite late and just of my own accord kind of thing just happened to be, yeah, it wasn't like I was forced into it or anything or like felt obliged to start cycling. It was just, partly it was just to help me commute to work as well because it's about an hour ride. So I was getting a lift in most days from my mum so yeah started riding and then that obviously made it a lot easier for me to just yeah do it on my own basically was there a part of you that sort of didn't want to get into like road racing because of who your dad was um not really to be honest it never really crossed my mind too much cycling obviously I knew about cycling because of it was something that he did but the only time it really sunk in ever was when I actually first went to secondary school a friend of mine uh, who wasn't a friend of mine at the time but a classmate of mine was into cycling and he was like mind blown that my dad was Sean Yates. So that sort of was like, okay, that's quite cool. And then that did make me want to get into cycling a little bit more. 
but um so i was always interested in bikes because i was really into bmxing um so i was always down the skate park or at the local um, trails just still having fun on two wheels but it was a different type of um bike riding basically so take us through how you went from bmxing to working in a bike mechanic to then actually doing some of these brilliant races like you've just done the like you've just been on the Hellenic mountain race. You've done loads of other ones, Delta Divide, Rafa Pennine Rally, all that kind of stuff. How did you progress? Well, it was, I think, my dad was never pushy to get me into cycling. But once I did get a bike, then it was a bit more, okay, let's go and enter a race, enter a time trial. I'm going to take you out training. And then it did become a bit more, let's try and become a cyclist kind of thing. So once I got a road bike, yeah, I started riding a lot more partly just to get fitter because i'd go out with the um shop club as well um like did a weekend ride maybe and a wednesday ride so yeah obviously you need to get you you want to get fitter so you you know suffer less and have a more enjoyable time ultimately so yeah i'd start i started training a lot more doing a few time trials for fun and then yeah i just continued to race on the road throughout the uk um belgium a bit in france for you know about four years probably and then from there I started by that time I'd found you know friends in the industry or other cyclists and yeah it started to open up doors to thinking about how I could you know explore different areas of cycling not just on the road or time trials. And at this point is your dad like your coach? How was it if he was your coach kind of how was that dynamic? I I never really had a coach to be honest and I didn't really want him to be my coach either. <laughs> Obviously he gives advice and I ask for advice but I don't really like being told what to do kind of thing so <laughs> yeah. I was never really good at following a training plan or I hate riding the turbo trainer. <laughs> I have done it in the past but yeah it's just not something I wasn't really ever that motivated to you know some people are very dedicated with their fitness and make sure I eat this rides this amount of hours per day I was just more casual about it and I'd always just get my fitness from just doing lots of long hours long rides so eventually when I did get into this sort of more long distance type riding I guess that was sort of the natural progression there. And how did you first start doing like the ultra distance stuff? I got into it basically uh, after I stopped sort of doing more sort of road racing when I stopped revolving my calendar around sort of road racing, I got into fixed gear crits. Oh, sweet. So the Red Hook crit series in like Brooklyn, Barcelona, Milan. Then they had other fixed gear races on the calendar as well in various places. And my first ever long distance ride happened to come about because I was riding uh, for a Spanish team and a friend, a teammate of mine, we were both going to Brooklyn to do the Red Hook crit. And he came up with the idea after the race, you want to just ride from New York to Miami. And I was like, okay, yeah, that sounds pretty cool. Why not? So, you know, I Googled like bikepacking bags, uh, ordered myself an Apogee saddle pack. I was like, okay, yeah, this is going to be cool. I had a Garmin. So, we, no, I didn't even have a Garmin actually. My teammate had one. So, yeah, we sort of planned the route. It was all quite last minute. We planned the route the night before we were meant to start in, in New York. He only had the computer. Um, obviously, one of the difficulties of this trip was that we were both on our fixed gear race bikes. So we had one gear, no brakes, no bottle cages. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so it was always going to be a bit of a challenge, but I just had a backpack and my saddlebag. He had the route. And yeah, we set off, basically. 
we didn't make it to Miami, but we ended up making it to South Carolina. So we went a bit off course. We changed our plan basically, but it was yeah, thousand miles in five days. I think it was five days. Yeah, uh, ten days. Sorry, we were in yeah, I was going to say wow. <laughs> yeah, a hundred miles a day, ten days, one thousand miles. Um, so yeah, it was still like a substantial trip, and it was really fun. And that was my first ever bikepacking ride, basically, or touring ride. So from there, I thought, okay, this is really cool. You know, maybe do something like, like this again, but on a more suitable bike. And <laughs> it just pro- progressed from there. <laughs> and I guess, you know, now you do, I guess you do a lot of races. Which ones that have you done that you're like, that was incredible, that's so fun? Which are the best ones, basically? I have done a lot of races, but I also haven't finished that many of them, probably only a small percentage. Not that that means I didn't have fun or, you know, didn't get the full experience of the the area or the the culture or whatever it was that we were riding through. Probably my favourite race. It's hard to say, really. I did, I did like my first ever bikepacking race that I entered was a Silk Road mountain race in Kyrgyzstan. So, um, I mean, that's probably one of the hardest in the world of that ultra distance cycling sort of area and yeah it's it's a really cool place to visit it's obviously completely different to you know living in the UK and you ride here you haven't traveled that much and you go there yeah it's, you know, it's worlds apart the landscapes obviously the weather the altitude the people the, the way of life in general is like it's a really big different um like a you know it's a complete it's a complete change of everything really so that was a really cool experience to go and do that and yeah I'm going to go back next year and try and complete it hopefully but <laughs> but there's, there's there's so many races especially at the minute the last few years if you had the uh time you could basically do a race every weekend for the whole year i reckon or an event back to back there's just so many events and so many cool places to visit and obviously bike pack ultra distance racing and bike packing is a great way to experience all those areas while still riding when you're doing it, how much can you focus on actually enjoying where you are and like riding your bike rather than just thinking, I'm in pain, I'm tired, I need to eat? It's definitely a difficult balance. Obviously, everyone finds the one thing about ultra distance racing, I think, is there's so many more variables and so many more. Everyone has a different experience, much more so than sort of just, you know, like a road race, for example, because so much of it is mental as well. Some people go there and they just enjoy every minute of it. So obviously then it becomes so much easier because, you know, you're enjoying what you're doing. So why would you stop even if it's raining or whatever? But sometimes, you know, it's hard to not to just sort of like watch the numbers on the screen, for example, and yeah, try and take in surroundings and not just think, okay, I've got 50k to go to this place. Yeah, it's definitely a fine, a fine line to be motivated to push yourself, make sure you're enjoying it at the same time and just... It's, yeah, it's a really it's a really big mental game as well the ultra distance cycling so I think and it's, it's hard to give advice to people as well and also to receive advice from others because because there's so many different angles and obviously everyone feels a different way whilst they're riding it's definitely a fine line to try and take everything in but for sure you do take in so much because obviously you're riding through these areas and most of the time it's quite remote um like in Hellenic for example yeah, you're in the mountains and you're just there's not really much else to do apart from either you choose to look at your computer screen or you look where you're going and look around you so 
yeah, you, it's, it's a great way to see a ton of stuff. And at what point do you, in a race, you know, are you thinking, oh gosh, I'm like, this really hurts. I want to stop. Or are you thinking, this really hurts. I have to stop. How do you sort of come to the point where you're like, I think I actually need to scratch? Or how do you find that, yeah, that fine line that you mentioned? I think it's difficult. I've never really scratched because of my physical sort of condition. So it's not because I've been unable to move. It's always been just because I've had enough kind of thing. Yeah. So it's more just a mental, like, you know, I've I've been riding for a couple of three days in Hellenic, for example, in Greece, where I just was. I was a bit under the weather before I went there. So I wasn't sort of 100%. I'd gone there with a mindset of just sort of not pushing myself too hard, but trying to just complete the route. But it turned out that the route was much harder than everyone expected even the organizers so so much so they had to extend the um the cutoff time slightly for the checkpoints and you know it was it was made harder also because not just the route but the weather conditions it was raining a lot the mud was just yeah really bad so it was a lot slower going and after three days I was starting to feel a bit like I just don't want to push myself that deep this time so I just decided to scratch which some people can't wrap their heads around because they're like, well, if you can still ride, then why would you ever scratch? Because a lot of people in these races, they really have, and it's something I admire as well. They just, they just continue no matter what, which is obviously amazing. But for me, I'm just slightly different mindset, I guess. And I decided to, um, to call it a day. But even when you do scratch a race like that, there's no, you've still got to make your own way to the finish <laughs> and be there until your flight leaves, pack up everything. Basically, there's no, once you enter a race, ultra distance race there's no easy way out even if you do scratch or if you decide to carry on and push through to the finish so i guess there's no broom wagon to like sweep you up (laughs) exactly yeah so it's definitely a yeah it's just a big learning curve kind of thing would you want to do some shorter stuff like i know your brother's doing like some of these gravel races they're going on now would you ever want to do something that that, that's that distance like longer than a road race still off road but not the part where you're killing yourself mentally um yeah i definitely have i've done some of those kind of type of events probably the gravel racing where it's like five or six hours probably a bit unless i start training properly they're probably a bit too intense although they still can be fun for everyone and probably 90 percent of the people who go there don't go there to get a result so it's just all about having fun i guess and, and enjoying the event so i definitely had will be doing some of those as well i think for me the sort of at the minute the ideal sort of time like the distance of the race that I'm sort of going to try and enjoy more the rest of this year is um, something like w- what Dale's Divide was, which you mentioned earlier, which I did in May, was it? No, we're in May now. Four, four weeks ago. <laughs> Sorry, I'm really bad at dates. But but yeah, that's sort of an early season race in the UK, and it's 600 kilometres in Yorkshire. I think it starts in Cumbria, actually, in a town called Arnside on the coast on the west coast and it goes across to scarborough and back off road so it's 600k and it's sort of that distance where you can do it in one ride without stopping and to sleep so mentally i find that easier because you can just stay in the zone it's not broken up by stopping and sleeping so that was really fun i enjoyed that race managed to come third in a time of 38 hours 27 minutes pretty speedy so (laughs) But I tried to be, yeah. But that was a really fun event. I think sort of distances of around 600, 700 kilometres and around sort of like 40 to 
60 hours, I think that's the kind of um, racing I'll try and focus on more. And then anything longer, I'll just try and do as a you know, more of an adventure and try and take the pressure off. Yeah, I was going to say, so for you, the, the sort of the ultra stuff is more enjoying it rather than like tearing your body to shreds. Yeah, the, the, the proper ultra stuff, like anything over a thousand kilometers, I think I need to try and just take the pressure off and just, yeah, treat it as more of an adventure within an event as opposed to entering a race to race. There's this wonderful thing about cyclists. We can never admit when we don't know something. And it's just like me and ketones. So someone would mention ketones and I'd be all like, yeah, I know what that means. It's basically just an energy supplement. And it is. But as I've dived into a bunch of research from ketones experts, HVMN, it turns out there's a lot more to it. So it sort of works like this. Usually we burn carbs when we cycle, then fat is a backup. Carbs is easy, chuck it straight in the furnace. But for fat to become fuel, we need to turn it into glycerol and fatty acids first. I've got low levels of ketones in my bloodstream as I speak. But what HVMN scientists have done is to work out how to literally make ketones and to put them into a sports drink. They call it HVMN Ketone IQ, and you can drink it during a ride or before a ride. And the idea is that instead of burning carbs, then fat, then ketones when you're cycling... With Ketone IQ, your body gets a big helping of energy-rich ketones to use alongside the carbs and fat all at once. So it's kind of three sources of energy, not two. So it's the reason why I've heard about World Tour teams like Jumbo Visma using ketones. They can help you effectively ride faster for for longer. Right now, you can save 30% off your first subscription order of Ketone IQ at hvmn.com slash cyclist. That's hvmn.com slash cyclist for 30% off. And if you want to learn more about how it all works, HVMN's got a brilliant podcast that's worth a listen called Health Via Modern Nutrition with Dr. Lat Mansour. It can be found at all the usual places. Restrap has been making technical bikepacking gear in their Leeds workshop for over 13 years. It's durable and functional. Every Restrap product has a whole lifetime warranty. And Restrap gear is made from sustainable materials wherever possible. I've been using Restrap bags for a while now, and I've actually just finished riding from London to Tunisia, where I used a Restrap frame bag. And honestly, it's brilliant. Absolutely loved it. The top tube bag is cracking too. And I'd argue that the Restrap quack sandals are probably the most important piece of bikepacking gear you can buy. Serious game changers for my tired little feet. Every Restrap product is made in-house, which means they have full control over the production and their staff are really into the riding too. So that really helps Restrap make easy-to-use, reliable products. Use the exclusive code CYCLISTMAG10 for 10% off at Restrap.com. That's CYCLISTMAG10 for 10% off at Restrap.com. And don't forget that the Cyclist Magazine podcast comes from Cyclist, which is also a magazine which you can subscribe to and get every single month. It's filled to the brim with epic rides, gear reviews and more. Plus, we're also a website, cyclist.co.uk, and you can check out our brilliant social channels for up-to-date pro, tech and everything else coverage. That's Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Threads, TikTok, Strava and LinkedIn. Talking about adventures within an event, you do your Sussex Mystery Tour. 
forgive me if that's not how you pronounce it, but SSX. That is correct, yeah. <laughs> yeah, cool. Um, can you tell us a bit about this? It's your annual gravel ride that you organise um, and it feels like an adventure within an event without loads of pressure, but can you tell us about it? Yeah, the Sussex Mystery Tour is uh, my event in the county of Sussex where I live. It's basically one big off-road loop and what you said is exactly, is exactly right. It's basically, it's, it's not a race, it's just, it's an event obviously, but there's no time cuts. There's no um, prizes for being the fastest. It's just one big loop of the, of the area, off road, and it's just for having a good time. Really, we have we have checkpoints where you can get um, some food and drink, and it's, and it's like you know, it's normally on like a an area with a nice view, so you feel like you've you've earned it a little bit when you get there. And yeah, it's, it's really grown a lot this year. Just um, just coming now, it's on July fifteenth. And yeah, sold out tickets in uh, less than 12 hours this year. So that was quite a surprise because previous years it had taken a bit slower to sort of get all the spots out there. But yeah, I'm really happy with how it's grown. And it's it's been great to see, you know, people turn up to the event or to our social rides we do as well and become friends just from being at the event. You know, and then you see the, the same people out on a rides together down a few, few months down the line and you think oh that's cool they you know really those friendships came, came from the community that sort of the mystery tour is building so that that's been really um really cool to see and you get quite a wide range of riders considering that it's not a race it's more like a you know a ride with friends do you get lots of you know amateurs people that take stuff quite seriously and lots of women what's the sort of um yeah who are the people that come to the race the ride <laughs> not a race <laughs> um we, we, we do get a really wide range of people yeah we've got some people come even just because it's, it's 270 kilometers so it's quite substantial uh, it doesn't might not sound like much if you're used to riding a road bike but last year it was 270 kilometers and the quickest times were 16 hours so it's still like a you know it's a hot it's, it's a complete day out and it starts at 4 a.m and finishes, you know, until whenever you decide to finish, basically midnight <laughs> normally, most people finish. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely a big undertaking, but we still get, you know, people who are quite new to off-road riding. And some people enter just with the intention to maybe only make it halfway to Brighton and then, you know, they can get the train back or stop on the seafront for um, some beers and a pizza or whatever it is. So, we, yeah, we get sort of beginners in off-road and we get people who want to, try and complete the whole route and that's going to be a massive achievement for them and they're really you know hyped to try and do that and then we get other people who want to they know they can complete the whole route and they want to just try and push themselves a bit more and um they're on the they're on the faster side of of the finishes but whatever you do it's yeah it's really cool to see like no one's ever had a bad word to say about it and everyone's even people who you know do do half it or even less they just they're just so happy and they just, you know, can't wait to come back and do more. So that's been really fun. Do you think uh, off-road riding in the UK is a bit underrated? Like you obviously go to these amazing places in the world, like Kyrgyzstan, Greece, Spain, wherever. Do you, do you come back to the UK and think, oh, it's a bit rubbish? Or are you thinking that actually it's quite good? I think it definitely is, is really good here. Yeah, I mean, that's one thing I found really fun about the Devil's Divide was, you know, when you push yourself in these ultra endurance races, or off-road races um like gravel like you were talking about 
you want to experience something which is like you know it's like freedom ultimately i guess you're away from the roads and you're away from people as well a lot of the time when you're riding off road on the gravel and stuff so doing that that there was a vibe gave me the feeling of actually yeah you don't have to travel to mongolia to have like a crazy experience like it was really it was a really cool event and just the area we were in i mean it was muddy and it was wet and cold but you still get that feeling of like yeah it's freedom as the way i guess most people try and explain what it is when they switch up from road cycling to gravel and i think it is underrated especially where i live obviously you know um wales and scotland are amazing and yorkshire is amazing but i think um the south and i'm lucky to live near the south downs so that's a place i think is definitely quite underrated and yeah i'm lucky to be here and that's where the event my event also focuses heavily on not necessarily the south downs way because a lot of people have ridden that already but trying to showcase the other paths and routes around the south downs national park which you probably wouldn't have maybe necessarily known were there is that why you call it the mystery tour or there's something else lined up for people to surprise people <laughs> yeah mystery tour it's a bit of i guess it gives people a bit of a it, it's sort of a without realizing it's quite good calling it the mystery tour because it sort of gives me a bit of a leeway as well <laughs> if i do something oh the, the route's 20k longer than it was going to be but then i always have like a fallback on oh it's you know it's a mystery so it's, that's helped me as an organizer as well i love that just surprise everyone on the start line <laughs> yeah um, and Liam, you're you're quite big on social media as well. Um, and it's obviously really important nowadays, um, especially for kind of, I guess, sharing cycling, getting more people involved in cycling, which you're obviously quite keen to do. How do you feel about social media? And do you feel the pressures of it as well, being a rider? Social media is, yes, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really weird one, isn't it? I'm only really on Instagram. I do have a YouTube account, um, but I think I don't really, I haven't really got around to sort of utilising it properly with videos. But yeah, it is definitely strange. I mean, I never set out to be an influencer or to, you know, make a living from Instagram or even cycling, really. So it's weird how it can just sort of change overnight and all of a sudden and you've got people wanting to ask you for advice or you've got brands wanting to get involved with you because you have an influence over other people, I guess. So it is strange how it's so something that made me realise how sort of fragile it can be also is I did have a team of my own at one point two years ago the same way I had an event I thought okay I'll try and have a little team and just help give back to the you know give some riders a stepping stone and you know even if it's just email contacts or we had we had kit and we had bikes and um, clothing which came from my sponsors as well so that was a really cool thing and then what happened was one day I had to verify some details on the Instagram page and I clicked the wrong sort of age on there by mistake. So I was born in 2004 or something. And then next thing you know, I was I was locked out. And the um, sort of the web page they had to, you know, prove your identity and upload a drive license or whatever it may be, was basically not working. And after 30 days, they deleted the account. So it was like, then it's gone. And that was that really. So I was thinking, wow, that's actually quite, like if that happened to my account, you know, you'd be a bit screwed basically because obviously I'm, yeah, have other areas. Obviously, I've, you know, getting magazines or like this podcast, for example, where you can showcase yourself. But obviously, mainly Instagram is basically like a, you know, it's your on, it's your online presence. Yeah. So 
that was sort of a crazy thing to me to think, okay, like it's it's a really fragile lifestyle as well. Because at the end of the day, I don't own my profile. You know, it's in, it's on someone else's it's someone else's business basically. Instagram, it's it's their um, it's same with anything. Even YouTube, whatever your life is basically somewhere else, and they have control of it. And if they wanted to delete it, they could. So it's quite that was quite a strange moment. But and on the other hand, it is amazing, and you know, you can connect with people so easily, see what people are up to. And I think for me, in general, ninety nine percent in um, it's been a positive thing. Yeah, and obviously because of that, you have like sponsors coming in. Do you feel any pressure to get sponsors, you know, to keep stuff coming in, like money or kit or whatever? Or do you find like brands just coming to you like really willing to get something going? There is a bit of pressure. Luckily for me, most of my sponsors are just like they sponsor me because they like what I'm doing. So when they come on board, they don't want to they don't want me to change anything. They just say keep doing what you're doing. And that's the reason they're getting involved. Whereas I guess some of my friends who maybe do like more YouTube based stuff or videos, it's more about sort of they have a brief and we're giving you this product or this is a a little, you know, activation we're doing X, Y, Z. Can you do this? And they have to then act on, you know, sort of directions from the brands. Whereas I I think I've got it quite good, really, where I can just do what I do and brands like what I do. So that's why they support it but there is a sort of there is a there is always a pressure because obviously you want people to be happy with what you post and also back to the sort of races and stuff in general like you know that people are watching you as well so it does add a pressure even when you don't it's just sort of there underlying obviously some people really like that i'm out here doing this hard thing and loads of people are watching and supporting but on the other hand other people may feel like you know you wish you could just be there with no one sort of knowing you were there so there's always a pressure but Luckily for me, it's 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 not from uh, the brands. It's more just sort of in my own head sometimes. So you're not getting pressured by Canyon to do like any more fixed crit racing or anything? Uh, no, although it could be fun. <laughs> Maybe I'll do um, do one next year. But yeah, obviously, for those who can't, who are only listening to this, I'm, I'm obviously wearing my Canyon t-shirt right now. <laughs> Very on brand. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you ever wish just talking about the stresses of social media and you say that people watch you when you're doing a ride um which can add to a pressure do you ever wish that you could just turn it all off um and not have to post on instagram and not have to post that reel um and tell people what you've been up to is there ever a moment when you're like oh let's just delete this app sometimes it's just nice to have a break and just not post for a week i think or just not even try not to try not to go on it although it is hard because also I do use the Instagram Messenger a lot as well, just because it's so easy. So then you're always going on, even if you don't want to necessarily look at posts or posts, you're going on there to just to communicate with others, um, which obviously still is a, quite a necessary in day-to-day life. Obviously, you can use other other communication platforms that are available. But yeah, sometimes it is nice to have a break. But then also at the same time, you start to have a break for maybe three days and then you notice, you know, you have your engagement, it's all gone down and you're like, ah. Oh, I need to really sort of try and fix this. But something I try hard to do is just to post. I don't want my page to be like um, Liam Yates, the cyclist kind of thing. I want it to be just Liam Yates. So I do, I try and post, you know, a variety of things and just stuff that makes me happy. Not necessarily posting for likes. So a lot of the time I'll post something, for example, that I know is going to get a load of interaction, but then I'll just take it down the next day because I just wasn't happy with it on there. 
Can you give an example of what that might be? Just something that's like really nerdy, like a picture of a bike or me riding a bike. Something that a cyclist would love. Um, <laughs> normally... Clickbait and then take it down. Yeah, kind of, yeah. But then, for example, I love a, that I get a really cool picture of of my cat or something. And I'm like, oh, this, he looks, you know, he looks great in this picture. And I'll just post that and leave it there because it's like, that's a part of my life that I want up there. So, yeah, it can be tricky to find that balance. And at the end of the day, I'm basically nobody in terms of influencers anyway. So I can't imagine what it's like for some people who, you know, do have millions and millions of followers. And I guess at a certain point, you've got to sort of detach it from your actual life and just post just for that sort of engagement which must be um yeah pretty tricky yeah super intense and is there is there a plan with all of this like do you want to build your social media your instagram following to x amount of followers um do you have an aim with all of this um it's not something i've given much thought to really i do want to try and do some more sort of long trips in the future sort of not sort of this is not sort of social media orientated but speaking of sort of plans i do want to try and do more longer longer trips in the future like a six month tour maybe or just some longer stuff and maybe that will then lean into being able to branch out onto different social media platforms like maybe more video stuff based stuff on youtube where i can it's more of like a diary of my Mm -hmm. trip if it's like a long trip but yeah in terms of like just social media and now it's just i just sort of posting what i'm doing really and there's not too much of a angle on anything that much yeah, fair. I guess 600k is not really long enough for you to whip out a camera and start thinking about filming yourself. <laughs> no, I mean, you can do it, but for something that long, you probably, yeah, it's for something like for that race of Dale Device, for example, if he's trying to vlog that, it would take an incredible amount of talent to remember to get the camera out, first of all. And yeah, it's just going to be a lot of work. I did, um, so a friend of mine, uh, Lawrence Carpenter, me and him did Badlands last year as a pair. And obviously he has yeah great following on YouTube and he does vlogs of all his rides and trips and whatnot. So yeah, we did that race to pair and obviously I'm trying to make space on my bike to, you know, carry my tools and stuff. And he's trying to make space on his bike to you know, put his drone in his <laughs> pouch. And then, yeah, going throughout the race, he was managing to sort of, he was managing to film himself talking to the camera, film me talking to the camera, film the scenery and stuff. And it's just, it's definitely a underrated skill being able to, you know, push yourself on the bike and document it all at the same time. So yeah, it's not something that I think if I tried to take it, I think it'd be a take a lot. If I tried to start doing that, it would definitely take a bit of um, a bit of practice. So maybe a six month tour tour would be a good time to start. Because <laughs> just but maybe, maybe maybe just by the end, I'd start to get good at it. <laughs> Go start somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Liam, when you're not riding, what are you doing? Obviously, you've got a cat. How else do you spend your time taking pictures of your cat? <laughs> yeah, I I live on the Ashdown Forest, so it's really great for outdoors. Uh, you can go hiking, like or walking, super easy on the forest. I've got a dog as well, so we can take great dog walks. Cleaning my garage takes up a lot of time, to be honest. Um, sorting out the bikes. You know, you come back from a trip and you've got to each sort of bike setup is bag setup is different for each trip so you've got to sort of take I normally I spend a lot of time like taking one apart and then setting up the next one so that's something I do just like planning my calendar really I mean I don't ride that much when I'm at home just because it's the only downtime I could maybe get normally so it's just like sorting stuff out really because if you're away for two weeks a lot like here and there 
normally I'm away for about two weeks and back for a week and it's always something coming up so it's normally just you know that you know that moment when you come back from holiday and you drop all your bags <laughs> and you think I can't deal with this right now it's just a lot of sorting stuff really and I do enjoy going on walking trips or going to cities just hot little holidays you know go to cinema all normal stuff really <laughs> what about BMX do you still do that sometimes uh, in lockdown I got back into it a little bit actually but now it's only just sort of something I do in summer or there is a really good indoor skate park in Hastings actually which I have been to a few times but the thing is with BMX and a lot of my friends also who rode like who were into gravel riding and road biking they also used to BMX as well but yeah it's just one of those things where it's just so much harder than you remember um <laughs> especially when you can watch it when you're still keeping up to date with stuff on on the internet like videos of people doing new tricks or stuff that you used to be able to do and then you try and replicate it and it, you think it's going to be easy but it's just not so i do ride a bit but it's more just also it's, it's just it's a good time to meet up with old friends as well sometimes be mixing or just hang out at the skate park and stuff or it, a, a good time to normally get back on the bike on the BMX is if there's like a new skate park that's just been built. So there has, there has actually been one just built in Horsham, I think. So maybe I'll try and go and check that out at some point. I have to say, I think some of like the BMX tricks are so cool. I've taken up skateboarding, so I spend quite a lot of time in the skate park. And, oh, nice. um, and there's there's these like two guys that always come on their BMX and they're just unreal. It's terrifying, like what they can do. And I'm like, and they're twirling the handlebar that's probably not called twirling. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like stuff like that. And then yeah, I think it's an incredible skill. It must make you quite a good cyclist going from BMX to cycling. I always think like it must make people, yeah, like a decent cycling having come from a BMX background. Yeah, I think a lot of um BMXers, yeah, they definitely have it's it's because obviously you've got such a small gear on your bike you pedal up to speed and then you freewheel so a lot of bmx's have really good fast twitch muscles as well so uh, which is great for sprinting and yeah. high power especially if you do bmx racing as well that's it is it is cool i'm surprised it's not bigger in general bmx i've always thought that because it's it's quite relatable because you know everyone can ride a bike so you think people would be really a lot of pe- the general public would be really impressed with people doing tricks on bikes I guess it's um it's still one of those things which is considered, I don't know, like a not like a you know, antisocial behaviour kind of feeling. Same with skateboarding as well, I think. But which is now but it's crazy now that it's in the Olympics and you've got yeah people who riding around in G B jerseys on a skateboard and on a BMX, which is something which, you know, no one would have believed was gonna happen when I was sort of um even like five, six years ago, you'd think seven, eight years ago you'd think, well that's like you know, you've got BMXs retiring from bmx not retiring you know because they're not exactly a lot of most of them aren't you know millionaires but the next thing you know they're a coach for gb so it's really that's a really cool thing to see yeah i agree and i feel like those little sports like bmx and skateboarding are growing um because i feel like yeah things like the olympics have given them so much more limelight and everything and Mm. um when i'm in the skate park i'm (laughs) always meeting always meeting people that have joined it like sorry got into it because of the pandemic or something like that and um they're always like it's the loveliest thing because it's something like bmx and skateboarding you can get a whole different ages um and everyone's starting at different points and in the skate park everyone sort of just comes together and helps each other it's a it's a, such a lovely environment to be in and everyone's like you, you don't judge people like people fall off and you're like you're okay and then you kind of move on and everyone's just in their flow um, exactly yeah 
yeah, it's, it's a really like great sport to sort of express yourself as well. Obviously, you, can, you know, you can create, you can create new tricks, or you can do stuff which is just there's no rules whatsoever. Which yeah. I think where where those those sort of freestyle sports are just yeah really unique, especially for all the age groups. Because some tricks, you know, twelve year old might be able to do really easy, but obviously when you get when you get heavier and bigger, maybe they're not so easy to do. To me, if you're yeah. like you know, thirty five or forty or whatever, so it's like there's so many different angles there as well. Then you've got to start watching the, uh, the freestyle cycling and the cycling football at the World Championships. That's that's really incredible. Okay. Have you seen it, Liam? Have you seen cycling? No, I haven't seen that. Oh my gosh. Okay, it is cycling actually football. mental. Yeah, it's it's there's a different name. I can't remember the name. You see the football or polo. Yeah, it's basically people on bikes and they're playing football and it is serious talent. The goalie, I think, has to be my favourite, the way they like flick their rear wheel up and stuff. Okay. They've obviously got um, weird bikes, but they like flick the ball to kick it and it's, that sounds un- pretty. it's unreal. I think it's quite like, well, the match, <laughs> the match, the highlights of the match that I watched <laughs> were, I think it was Germany and Austria or something. And yeah, it's, I think it'll be in the in Glasgow. Yeah. The, oh, really? Yeah. I used to check that yeah. out. Maybe that's your yeah. next pursuit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe. Get um, the Canyon Cycling Polo bike <laughs> coming 2024. You had it here first. <laughs> oh, love that. Um, well, Liam, thank you so much for coming on the podcast with us. Um, it's been really, really lovely chatting to you. And good luck, obviously, with the Sussex Mystery Tour. We look forward to seeing how it all goes. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, great to speak to you both. And maybe, uh, yeah, maybe I'll see you out on the gravel of Sussex. Yeah, fingers crossed. Maybe. Cheers, Liam. Thanks, Liam. Oh, thank you, Liam, for coming on the pod. That was really, really interesting. I particularly thought his bit about riding rather than racing, I feel that that's very much my mantra. Yeah, well, I feel like if you're riding that far, you have to kind of find some enjoyment in actually riding your bike rather than just going you know, in the red for three days without sleeping. Sure, but I think it's a different mental ball game, isn't it? In your head, when you're like, I mm. want to race this, I want to come first, rather than I just want to ride this and enjoy it and get to the end. They're two very, yeah. very different mindsets. It's nice to know not all of those people are just like completely insane. Yeah, like some people are out there to have a good time. <laughs> uh, we had our thing in the magazine about the race around Rwanda and the guy that won was like, oh yeah, and I started hallucinating that there are animals, but of course there are animals, but did I see them? And I was, firstly, I was riding with my family, but they weren't there. Oh, so, yeah. Oh, no. Actually, yeah, the yeah the mental strain that people put them through is actually quite mad. And also, I guess we've just got to correct that we mentioned there was a cycling football. It's actually called cycle ball. Um, yeah, but it's cycling football, but it's called cycle ball. And you yeah. can go and watch it in Glasgow this summer. And honestly, watch it on YouTube. Have Check it out. It's, yeah, quite something. It's really impressive. Just imagine a load of people in a little sports hall on rally choppers just whipping their front wheels, getting kicks in the top corner of a football goal it's really good entertainment oh uh, yeah I, I would actually quite like to see people doing it on an actual rally chopper i think that would shake yeah. it up a little bit and yeah. i'd also like to just try it because their balance is insane it is insane are they they must there must be something about the bike yeah definitely it's like you know viola brand that cycling artiste i'm not sure what she's that gymnast vibe and she's on her bike sort of doing handstands and stuff the balance is just out of this world so impressive that's why you also have to watch the artistic cycling thing when they're doing the like dancey stuff (laughs) look at us do we work for glasgow
uh, yeah, talking about balance, uh, I thought Liam's view on social media was um, was a good one and actually pretty healthy. For some reason, I thought being an influencer, you'd have way more of an obsession about it, but he didn't seem to. It was quite interesting that he, he posts and deletes. Yeah, I as well. That is quite interesting. It makes you feel better because sometimes I do that. Really? <laughs> I don't know. I'm like, does well, anyone you're posting care? pictures of bikes and being like, oh God. <laughs> no. I need to build my skateboard audience. <laughs> Usually me and my skateboarding tricks. Um, no, but you know when you're like, does anyone care? Like, what am I doing this for? But also you should probably think that, does it matter if they don't care? No. That's what his point is. Yeah. It's his, he's putting his life on there, right? So he's posted a picture of a cat. No one liked it. He probably wouldn't actually care that much because, you know, it represents him, which is a more healthy way of thinking about it. Agreed. But is it healthy to put your whole life on Instagram? It depends if you can handle it mentally. So that's, again, that's another probably thing. Probably not, I would say. Yeah, I I think, yeah, do you want to share the ins and outs of your private life? Some people do and some people love it. But some people also have, uh, and this is an insight into youth culture, have have their secret Insta, Instagram profiles where the quality of pictures doesn't matter as much. I believe that's called a finster. Exactly. Fake insta. So then you can just put everything on there, whereas if you're planning your main profile around it, you're probably planning your life around going to like really picturesque places, getting the aesthetic right. Yeah. Taking pictures of your food before it gets cold kind of thing. Agreed. It's like curating this lifestyle. My friends and I all used to have finsters at uni, and obviously it was just like hideous pictures of us that we thought were absolutely hilarious. I mean, no one uses it now because obviously it's way too much like admin. But yeah, the, yeah, the idea was literally like, and you just had your closest friends, and everyone just found every photo hilarious. But now you have these Insta profiles where a lot of people take their Instagrams extremely seriously. Well, maybe Liam's got one and he just obviously could see. Oh, yeah, that's true. It's just a picture of him suffering on a bike in different places. Oh, I have to get him back asked about his Finster. Well, he wouldn't have said because it's secret, isn't it? Yeah, but you can say, oh, I've got a Finster. That Finster's always private and you have to, yeah, it's hard to get. Anyway, enough about Finsters. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, so thank you, Liam, for coming on. Uh, I thought that was really great. And. We'll be back in a fortnight with another episode. Uh, So look out for that. And in the meantime, head over to the Cyclist website and subscribe to the Cyclist magazine. And we will see you soon. And don't forget that the Cyclist magazine podcast comes from Cyclist, which is also a magazine which you can subscribe to and get every single month. It's filled to the brim with epic rides, gear reviews and more. Plus, we're also a website, cyclist.co.uk, and you can check out our brilliant social channels for up-to-date pro, tech and everything else coverage. That's Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Threads, TikTok, Strava and LinkedIn.